CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. We are back talking some more CFL football here. And for the first time in 2018, we are talking about the results of actual regular season football games. Yes, that's right. Week one in the CFL is officially in the books, although... Some might question whether the Bombers-Eskimos game is still going at this point, because boy was that a long night here in Winnipeg in early morning, Thursday slash Friday. Second longest game in CFL history. We'll get into that, and we'll get into talking about all of the other games that happened this past week as well. Uh, can't do that without the other half of the duo, so Michael Garrell is here as always. Mike, how are you doing? I'm alright, I'm alright on this uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, can't complain. The weather's nice. Well, the weather's heat wave here for sure. Will we be getting more of our new weekly segment, Tractor Thoughts with Mike? <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I really don't know. But being on a, being on the tractor today has enabled me to think about the four games that passed uh, this coming week, or this past week, or this past week. Uh, so let's start with the first one. Uh, it's the one that kicked off the season Thursday night in Winnipeg. The Eskimos coming to town to kick off the CFL season. Everybody's here for a good time. Uh, Brody Lawson, Davis Sanchez with their new CFL show, CFL Game Time. By the way, really looking forward to that all season. The guys from TSN are in town. They've got the Reclaws uh, coming into town to perform. Of course, they're the ones who have the song that is now the official song of Thursday Night Football on TSN. Everyone's in town to celebrate, and they celebrated all night long, Mike, because second longest game in CFL history, two weather delays in this one of over an hour apiece. The game kicked off at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, and we did not reach halftime by my count until after midnight, or very close to midnight, perhaps. <laughs> I think the game resumed at 11.45 and ended somewhere just after midnight, first half. Yeah, and then the whole game went till about 1.30 in the morning. Five hours and 40 minutes, I believe. What was the longest game in CFL history? It was the fo the Fog Bowl. Oh, the uh, Fog Bowl, but that was played over two days. Right. So, I, I don't know. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I call this one the longest yeah, the longest consecutive. Yeah. Well, air quotes consecutive. You got about three games in one. But uh, it was certainly an interesting evening. Um, What were your thoughts uh, sitting in the in the stands at Investors Group Field? I mean, did you have a sense the weather was coming? or? Yeah, we had the sense before kickoff. And with technology these days, you're able to go and see, you know, the weather radar. You can look at it on your phone. It's great. You can sit there in the football stands and look and see, oh, my impending doom is on the way. <laughs> <laughs> was there something about the air prior to the storms? I mean, it was. Wind-wise or anything like that? 
Yeah, it started to get a little more windy. It was kind of windy up there. It was a hot day here in Winnipeg, and at all, I'm no meteorologist over here, but that culminates into something that ended up with what we got Thursday night. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, I've never left, by my recollection, maybe when I was too young to remember, I'm sure my parents brought me home early from a football game because it was bedtime as a kid, but to my recollection, I've never left a football game before the final whistle. Until Thursday night, just situation, uh, family stuff. I, I I left once the second rain delay started, and of course I get home. Uh, I get stuck behind a train on the way home, so that took a little while longer. Plus that run to the car amid the lightning storm was maybe the fastest I've ever run. Uh, <laughs> you get home, you settle in, and the second half hasn't even, st- or the game hasn't even resumed yet. Wow. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, you know, shortly after that, Kevin Fogg goes and returns a punt for a touchdown, and, and that you're might, thinking that, to yourself, why did we leave? Well, that might, might have been the most comical, because his feet are hitting the turf, and it's flashing around, so it's, I don't know, I found it kind of funny. So where do you want to go with covering this game? Because we talked about the weather. What do you want to start with for the Eskimos versus the Bombers? Uh, just to recap, Edmonton pulls out a 33-30 win here in Winnipeg. Uh, I want to talk, let's start talking about uh, Chris Traveler and your thoughts on his game. He looked great, is the simple Spark Notes version of it, Cliff Notes, whatever you want to call that. Uh, I thought Strever looked great, you know, three touchdown passes, he had two interceptions, granted one of them was a great diving catch by J.C. Sherritt. Uh, 15 of 28, 178 yards, three touchdown passes. Oddly enough, Mike, Chris Strebler leads the league in touchdown passes after week one in the CFL. I wasn't sure what to expect from him in this game, and I don't think anybody really knew for sure what to expect from him coming into this. For a rookie quarterback making his first professional start, I'd say that was pretty admirable performance. What do you make of the way being started? For him, I mean, you know, the early interception to share it, and most people probably went, oh, oh I would imagine, and talked about his ability to regroup and kind of settle down. Yeah, he definitely did as the game went along. I think he started to, you know, maybe there was a couple of first start jitters. He also, just the crazy fact that this guy's making his first pro start, and you have this crazy game involving the weather, right, where... You know, he really has the opportunity to go out and play for a quarter and a half or so. Then go and spend an hour and a half in the locker room. I'm sure they watched every piece of footage they had of the start of the game. It's almost like you can prepare for the next game in itself by watching the game film. The coaches, I'm sure, were telling him what to correct. He comes out there right before that second delay. He goes and leads the Bombers down the field for a touchdown there. Uh, and then he comes out in the second half, or uh, sorry, after that second rain delay. And I thought he had a pretty solid performance there overall for the Bombers. I thought he moved the ball well. Uh, when pressure got on him, a lot of times he used his feet really well. He picked up, I believe, 30 yards, seven carries for Strevler. In the preseason, we saw him run the ball quite a bit. Mobile quarterbacks give you so many more options, I feel like on offense, because you not only have to worry about the running back, you have to worry about the wide receivers. You gotta worry about making sure this guy doesn't take off and run. Um, 
how much did the two rain delays maybe help Strubler's performance? Well, that's what I was just saying, right? Is that he had time to go basically review all of the game film from the prior sections of the game and to, you know, get the coaching, communicate with his wide receivers, his offensive line, his running backs uh, during that time to go and prepare to come out further. And I think that's why we saw him progress more as the game went along. Did you see anything from the offensive line early on versus maybe later in the game? I think the offensive line played pretty well for the most part. There were a couple of sacks early on, you know, a couple of times he got really under pressure. But I thought the Eskimos' defense also played a pretty solid game there as well. And just to sum up the whole Chris Strebler performance here, I like what I saw from him. I'm still cautious. I'm not fully on the Chris Strebler hype train as much as a lot of people are after this game because I look at two scenarios here. I look at the fact that, you know, he... Edmonton had no game film on him coming into this game, right? And until we see a couple more starts, it's going to be continue to see that. So while we might see some early success, once teams start getting that game film on him, how does he respond to that? Uh, second, second. Uh, on the flip side, how do you respond to someone that says to you, "Granted, we he, we have game film on him, but to the same token, Strebler had game game film on the defense that he's playing." Yeah, that that's a fair comparison, right? Um, I think it's maybe a little harder to you know for one guy to manage game film on twelve guys than it is for twelve guys to know this is what this one guy does. So I, I I think as teams start to figure him out more, maybe we see him take a bit of a step back. You also have to remember Edmonton had four all of their basically all of their de- starting defensive backs were out of the lineup in this game. They fielded mostly backups at the position due to injuries. Um, so how much does that play into things? But boy, if you want to talk about the Eskimos, it's deja vu in 2018 because 11 guys on the six-game injured list after week one. What do you make of it? I mean, it's the same thing we saw last year, right? Now, the real question for me with that becomes, how do they manage that? Because last year, we saw the depth on display. Third string, fourth string, fifth string guys at some positions on the field. Eskimos let a lot of guys go in the offseason as these guys that came and filled the holes stepped up last year, and now they got starting jobs. Well, now as they go down, who's the depth guys behind them, right? Do you think, I'm going to ask this question, it might be false to ask, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you believe those injuries were attributed to the weather? It's debatable. And if so, can the CFO do something about it in the future? I I, I don't know. The the whole weather thing is a confusing thing, how you manage that, right? Because there's talk of... Well, what if we, you know, suspend this game and pick it up another day? How do you manage, you know, the legalities of stuff like that and the fairness of a game like that and the whole situation? I don't know what the right answer to that is, Mike. Well, it actually ended up, um, it actually ended up coming out the next day on Friday in one of the Twitter pieces that the Eskimos, uh, front office was actually looking at hotels for that Thursday night, uh, even though they were supposed to charter out right after the game, which they did no home right after the game. Um, but I'm just wondering, like, 
should the CFO, right, I understand, because of the compactness of a football schedule, you kind of that we move a game, but when is player safety in jeopardy? Like we saw Alex Ross of the Bombers flip on the surface of a wet turf and be out for the six weeks, and all these injuries in Edmonton, but I'm just wondering, did the CFO need to repaint the old normal of football, given the history and the, and the knowledge of what injuries are like today? Yeah, I think it's hard to kind of plan for a situation like this, right? Uh, granted, you could have a policy in place to say, if the delay lasts X many hours or X many minutes, maybe we shift things around a little bit there. You know, but, but you, know, you know, Wade Miller, I think, had even gone and said uh, during that game, during the rain delays, we're going to do anything possible to finish the game tonight. And that's what they did. Yeah, I I just think it's I just think to take away from a game if you're asking players, especially older players, to stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, get warm, get cold, you know that that kind of thing. So, mind you, this is the once in a seemingly once every once a year opinion Winnipeg, it's either weather or moose delay, um, <laughs> something. There's it's always, always here. It's always here every time. Well, it's always on the prairies in particular. Um, no, I, I just wanted to fish and maybe look at something. Uh, but anyway, what did you think of Mike Riley? I was actually going to get your take on that, but uh, I'll go first here because you did ask. Mike Riley, give him MOP in 2018. He was MOP in 2017. Give him it already in my mind because we saw Thursday night slash Friday morning what we're going to see from Mike Riley all season long is him just tearing defenses apart. That 101-yard touchdown pass to Darrell Walker in the first quarter, I believe it was, mm-hmm. it was maybe even their first drive, maybe their second drive, I don't recall. No, they had a couple three and outs. Or two and outs. Yeah, and then the Bombers punted. They got a crop and corner, pinned them at like the two-yard right. line. That was one of the most beautifully placed passes I have seen in a while, Mike. Darrell Walker is going up against Chris Randall. Bomber's hands down best cover guy. Chris Randall doesn't give up a lot. He's arguably one of the best cover guys in the entire CFL. And he covered that perfectly, I thought. The only other thing he could do was, you know, jump up a little higher and knock the ball down. But Darrell Walker jumped up as well and snagged it from him and took it into the end zone for a 101-yard touchdown. I mean, Mike Riley couldn't have placed that ball any better uh, he was on fire all night long, 408 yards passing for Mike Riley, picked up 43 yards on the ground as well, and caused some troubles there for the Bombers where he managed to get away a little bit. I mean, how can you not peg Mike Riley as your favorite for the MOP after week one? Again, it's favorite, yes, but that he made it through all 18 games is another question. He seems to find a way. I don't want to... Honestly, I don't want to uh, get into MOP discussion after week one. We know Mike Riley is there. Um, I just made it a little early to get into that um, into that discussion. I'm just trying to find an interesting posting that I saw. Um, it has to do with which bomber uh, cornerback was victim for to the most yards passed, and I don't know if you saw that little chart. No, I did not. I'm, I'm going to see if I didn't find it. I found it a couple of days ago, and it just came to my mind. 
Um, well, Chris Randall gave up 101 there, obviously. Gave up a whole lot more. He was closer to, if I recall, he was closer to 175, 180. Um, well, that would make sense because Darrell Walker finished at 176 yards, and I imagine they were going to head-to-head here. Mike, we got to move on to other games right away, but we can't go on without talking about the Bombers' defense. This was the big question mark all offseason long. They bring in all these big pieces. You're Adam Bighill, you're Chandler Fenner, you're Anthony Gator, you're Craig Rowe on the defensive line. They stick with Richie Hall for the defensive scheme, and that was our question coming into this year. You've got all these shiny new pieces, but what's Richie Hall going to do with them? What do you make of the Bombers' defensive performance on Thursday night? Um, I had different thoughts of this after the game. Uh, let's be frank, but I, I I give them a pass for Thursday. Why? Um, just because I I'm trying to find a total number of yardage that Edmonton had uh, through the air. Uh, four hundred eight. So you take away 100, 100 and out of one big play, that's 308. That's very, very respectable. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make excuses here. The defense is too dread to play the way they played on Thursday. I think they turn it around. Also, too, I think we have to shape our expectations and change our expectations to that of the last 10 seasons of what a very good defensive performance entails. Because the lead in the last three to five years has been tilted more toward the offense. So I think it kind of changes the perception of what a good defensive game is. Well, I'll tell you this. A good defensive game certainly does not mean giving up 408 yards passing. No, It certainly does not mean breaking down in the final two minutes there and allowing the Eskimos to march down the field. The one positive I'll give them, I thought the defensive line put some good pressure on for large portions of the evening. And I thought they stopped the run game pretty well. C.J. Gable is a premier back in the CFL. My thoughts on the defensive performance of the Bombers, because you look on social media, week one, they've got a lot of hate already. There's a lot of people saying, see, why did we bring back Richie Hall? You know, this defense is going to go nowhere under Richie Hall. I've seen all of these comments. It's week one. Am I happy with what I saw on the field there? No, not at all. But that being said, I think it's going to take some time for these pieces to get together. I mean, they have new pieces in there, but probably how much? How much did those pieces physically play in the preseason together? A half, less than that. Yeah. So, like, give them a pass. It's week one. Are we having this discussion if we won the game? Probably not. I think it's still a discussion. I, I I think it's still a discussion, but it's not a magnifying point. The other thing is, it's one twenty-five in the morning when they have that breakdown defensively. Maybe the weather had something to do with it. I, I just, bottom line, I want to see a five or six game run with this defense. Yeah, and, and people crying same old, same old. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll advocate against that with the fact that the team they're facing was the same old, same old in that this is Mike Riley, this is Darrell Walker, this is all of these guys. That, the Eskimos are stacked at the wide receiver position. I'll tell you this. The Bombers are one play away from being first in the West right now. Well, tied for first in the West. Everyone else in the West won a game this week, right, Mike, right. except for the Bombers. Right. Um, but but they're... No, the defensive performance, I think, it wasn't good, but my two quick thoughts is... Look at how strong Edmonton's offense is. 
give me more of a reasonable, you know, a couple games here to see how they average out against some other opponents. And uh, as well, you know, let's see them get together a little bit more here. I think they will improve. The Bombers are a botch field goal away from going to overtime. Yes. Mike, we got to move on to the next game yeah. here. We'll leave it at that one. Certainly Bottom line, game. don't make them uh, bid. Uh, a big hill? Hill. Out of nothing. Out of nothing. There we go. That's the line I'm looking for. I'm going to use this big hill joke all season long. Um, Get ready for that. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I thought Big Hill was a beast, too. Oh, yeah, that stop on the, Jumped over the that pile. stop nice. on the goal line there. Uh, um, Toronto-Saskatchewan, rematch of last year's East Final. Coming into this game, this was the only one you and I picked wrong this week because we thought the yeah. Argos were going to perform well. I listened to the first part of this game uh, on the Riders radio and then tuned in on TSN afterwards. Me think somebody was a little excited. And I, I was shocked from what I was hearing slash seeing in this game because... I didn't have the highest expectations from Saskatchewan. Um, offensive line, I was very unsure of what was gonna make what to make of that. Coleros's rebound year, um, how he would perform in his first game as a rider, and they let a bunch of wide receivers go. So I wasn't sure what to expect from Saskatchewan. What do you make of this game? Well, I mean, uh, I think I called this to be a close game. I think so, too. I think you said a field goal or something like that. Yeah, so I'm not overly surprised, but this isn't the way it went. But I am surprised uh, Charlton Hughes, my goodness. Uh, Calgary is probably regretting that right this very minute. Do you think Calgary knew he was going to be shipped right back to Saskatchewan when they sent him to Hamilton? Well, it's funny. I was thinking about that whole thing, right? That you don't trade within your division. And then I look at what happened in the NHL today, quick story. Uh, Ottawa trades Mike Hoffman to San Jose in an attempt to get him out of the, out of the division. Meantime, today San Jose flips him back to Florida. So in the division, and San Jose saved themselves about $4 million and gets three draft pits and good day for everyone. So... Yeah, just when you think you're trading a guy out of division, oh, he suddenly gets turned around. And, gets and he was a monster for Saskatchewan you know in this what? game. There's no, there's no unwritten rule that, you know, you trade a guy to a team, but they can't trade that guy to another team. Because, number one, that's not your player anymore. Right. Number two, what they do with their player is their business. And they're looking out for their team. So, yeah, I mean... Did we give the Riders' defense enough credit in our preseason talks about the team this year? Because they looked mighty good against well, the Argos. And really, I thought for a large portion of the game, Ricky Ray could and his offense couldn't get anything going. I was appalled by one thing. And that was everything I heard out of Toronto after the game. We didn't play well. We should have won. We didn't play well. Not one person gave credit to the Riders for a game well played. That defense was one of the best defenses in the CFL last year. And, I mean, if you want to draw, you know, conclusions from week one and, you know, assuming things continue like this, 
they'll be the best defense in the CFL in 2018. Now, tonight, I will say I don't think Toronto played that bad defensively. No. The defense kept them in it for a large portion of this game, the I think. The defense kept them in it, and I think there was a point where, you know, Statham was going to lose that game until Nick Marshall basically pulled a pit six, uh out from the middle of nowhere. Yeah, when, what, a, what a way to make your CFL debut, hey? And unfortunately, I believe that was the play that he also injured his finger on and is now on the six-game injured list. Ooh. Sad face. Um, but, I mean, imagine that. Game ceiling interception, your first CFL game against future Hall of Famer and Grey Cup winning quarterback Ricky Ray. You know what? That That's one of those things, right, where if the defense is on the same page and you're getting the right amount of pressure, I think you can afford to do what Nick Marshall did and kind of rush forward. Because what you got to think about if you're the cornerback, the guy that's kind of guarding, is go, hey, my guys are sending three and a half, four guys after the quarterback. He's going to be forced to put that ball in the air. So I may as well charge toward the spot where I think the ball is going to go and try to make the play on it. Here's what I thought the Riders did really well because we want to talk about the offensive side of the ball. Caleros making his first start in a Riders uniform. He has, had, he has struggled the last couple of years due to the injuries he's had. How do you make the performance, how do you make the game easier for a quarterback making his first start with a new team? You run the ball, Mike, and the Riders ran the ball early, often, and all night long. Jerome Messam, his Riders debut this time around, 21 carries for 72 yards. They spell in Trey Mason a couple carries there as well, 5 for 37 yards. I mean, Coleros looked great, 18 of 25 for 203 yards and a touchdown, no interceptions. Does the yardage, you know, stand out for Zach Coleros? No, not really, but that's also because they ran the ball so much, and it opened things up for him. It's this game manager label. He didn't turn the ball over and made the plays that he made. I, I thought, you know, and I think I said this to you after the first two or three drives, uh-oh, this is going nowhere. They might want to consider putting Brandon Bridge in. To which I told you you were being ridiculous. Uh, well. It, it's, it's one quarter into the season, Mike. Yeah, but let's be frank. Those first three drives were not red, and you have a proven commodity on the bench. But I thought the yeah, Riders. You're not, you're not going to do that to a guy's confidence. No, One but, quarter into the season, though. This is the guy you paid big bucks to come here. You're not going to do that to Colorado. But I thought, to the writer's credit, they made some adjustments on the offensive line, which helped open up the passing game. What do you make, because Jerome Messam, 33 years of age, entering his ninth season in the CFL, I believe, um, he's had three straight 1,000-yard years, but a lot of people seem to be considering him that he's going to slow, he's starting to slow down in his well, career. And... You know, he has that knock on him. And, you know, coming into this year, I haven't really heard Jerome Messam that much in conversation of, oh, this guy could lead the league in rushing this year. Everyone's talking Andrew Harris. Everyone's talking James Wilder. Why is nobody talking Jerome Messam? The question I have for you, because, you know, with that label of, oh, he's starting to slow down, they've got Trey Mason, who got a couple carries, had a great game there, averaged seven and almost seven and a half yards per carry. Um, 
I thought, you know, maybe this year to give Messam a bit of a break, we see a couple more carries from Trey Mason, get a dual back system. Messam carries 21 times in this game. Are we expecting a big workload from him all season, or do you think this is going to even out more and we're going to see more from Trey Mason? I think we're going to see this dual bat throughout. There's more and more teams that move to it. Uh, and really, everyone should be. because. And, and I think we're going to see this just to pull back to the Bombers for a minute. Sounds like Keenan LaFrance is going to be back in the lineup this week. He took the number one reps uh, yesterday in the first day of practice. So maybe the Bombers do a bit of a dual, dual threat there. Um, you know, I think... You know, when they say a running back hits 30, that's kind of, you know, when the decline of a career starts. If you can keep him fresh by throwing in a a valuable running back that's not going to cost you overly much, that's going to get the job done, then I think it benefits both Jerome Massa because he's less wear and tear. It benefits that offense, and it gives defensive coordinators fits. Really, I don't know why more teams haven't gone to the dual back system because everywhere we've seen in the last couple of years in CFL, it's been effective. You look at, well, BC had a bit more of an unconventional one because they had Jeremiah Johnson. They well, had BC Allen, started it with Jeremiah Johnson and Anthony Allen, except they weren't both in the lineup at the same time. A lot of times it was Johnson plays a game. Allen plays a game. Johnson plays a game. Allen plays a game. It still kept them fresh. Last year with the Bombers, we saw Andrew Harris and Timothy Flanders. That worked extremely you well. You this year. Uh, Game one, Andrew Harris knit Dembski a couple yeah, times. Dembski even getting a couple carries there. Um, look at Toronto's rushing game. Everyone's expecting big things from James Wilder coming into this year. He did not. Did get they him. have a certain running back in the game? Uh, the Argos. Yeah. Uh, well, they've got Martise Jackson returning kicks. Uh, he got. He actually had more rushing yards than James Wilder did. Wilder picked up 68 through the air, but only five carries for 16 on the ground. Are you surprised the Argos didn't give the ball to him more, especially when the offense wasn't really getting things going early on? What do you do, hand the ball off and he just slammed into a brick wall? you got to open things up a little bit. There was a lot of pressure, so I don't know if running the ball on a game like the way the stats were defense. Because, I mean, Ricky Ray threw 37 passes, only completed 22 of them. Clearly the passing game's not being effective against these defensive backs. You know, a couple runs here and there, especially early on, because while the offense struggled, the score was not out of proportion. I believe we were looking at something like 1-1 after the first, yeah, it was 1-1 after the first quarter in a game that probably confused the heck out of a lot of Americans tuning in on ESPN as they're wondering how you can be tied one all at the end of a quarter. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I just think, you know, Saskatchewan defense deserves a lot of credit for Tandwin up Toronto's offensive game plan. Absolutely. Do I believe Toronto to be better? Absolutely. There's a better Toronto than what we saw. But let's give all the credit in the world right now to Saskatchewan. For sure. They surprised me. I think they surprised you quite a bit as well. Uh, you know what? Honestly, Ryan, I expected the defense to be good. I just didn't think they'd be this good this early. And we'll see if they can keep that up going forward. Yeah. So I mean, I had Saskatchewan finish it second, and that was largely in part uh, with the second half run. Right. Um, but again, you know, just to give a little sneak peek to my to my power rankings, which are going to come out on our website later this week, Saskatchewan at or near the top. 
and uh, you can find that at mikefmwinnipeg.com slash the Canadian Football Countdown hyphens between each of those, the dash Canadian dash football dash countdown. Uh, you'll be able to find that as well as all our podcast episodes there. Um, Mike, take us into our next game, the start of our uh, the, the first game to kick off the Saturday doubleheader, Calgary and Hamilton. You know, this was a close game right up until the final three minutes, and then Jeremiah Mazzoli throws an untimely interception, which is brought back for a touchdown. And Don Johnson, I think it is, uh, runs one in uh, with the... Honestly, I wasn't that happy that he put it in when they had the game one. But I just, I just in fairness, they didn't have the game one, so I just think that I had, had a touchdown. But again, you know... At the end of the day, Bo Mitchell and the Stampeders made one more play than Jeremiah Mazzoli. And, you know, it was kind of one of those games where I thought the first quarterback to Blaine would lose. And, you know, uh, Bo Levi Mitchell didn't have a great game passing-wise. I thought he overthrew a lot of receivers. Yeah, he completed less than 50% of his passes. By the way, just the score here, because we haven't mentioned that yet. 28-14, Calgary wins this one with 19 points in the third, in the fourth quarter. Um, back to what you were saying about Bowley. Yeah, so, so I, I just think that, you know, if Bowley by Mitchell overthrowing receivers, but they're in no danger of being picked off, which I don't think a lot of those overthrows were going to be picked off, because they were like overthrows, like over the guys, over everyone's head. It came down to a game where the first quarterback to make a legitimate mistake uh, lost the football game. And Hamilton, I think, had three turnovers in the football game prior to that interception, or two or three for sure. And then the game learning mistake is that interception where, you know, hindsight being 2020, um, hangs on to the ball. He's got all the time in the world. He's looking at that spot. And it's it's just one of those weird things that he's looking for something. And he's looking right there and has a brain cramp, I want to say, and puts it right there. But the Calgary defensive back makes a good play, too, on that play as well. So, first of all, let's get this out of the way. I was sick after this game watching all of the articles, all of the highlights, all the headlines come out. What does Mazzoli's game mean for Johnny Manziel? What does this interception mean for Johnny Manziel? Uh, Manziel doesn't get time on the field as Ty Cats lose. Enough is enough, folks! Like, I love... You know, I'm intrigued by this Johnny Manziel storyline as much as anybody else is, and it's been entertaining to say the least. But Mazzoli came out and shut that up pretty well, I thought, in this game, because 25 of 36, 344 yards. He sits second in the CFL in passing yards after week one. Who's number one? Mike Riley, 408 okay, uh, yards. Uh, obviously. Um, he didn't throw a touchdown. That's his one knock here. and then that He un- rushed for one, though. Uh, and then that untimely interception. He did, uh, he did rush for a touchdown as well, I believe. Yes. Uh, it was a 14-yarder in the uh, second quarter. Um yeah. But I thought he played well for most of the game. And I think overall, if you look at Jeremiah Mazzoli's time as a starter in the CFL, I think people would say he's in that kind of upper middle group of quarterbacks where Mazzoli can play pretty well, 
And here's where I, I want to get your take on this comparison I've got here. Mm-hmm. Mazzoli is the new Kevin Glenn. And I do not mean that in the sense that he is going to go out and be a member of all nine teams in the CFL. I mean that in the sense that Kevin Glenn throughout his Just career... Just wait three years and then he'll have a tenth option. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Glenn throughout his career has been a great quarterback. But do people remember him for the great things he's done on the field? No. A lot of the times, what people have remembered him for is that untimely interception he throws late in a ball game. And that seems to be now the knock on Jeremiah Mazzoli because he is known to maybe turn the ball over a little more often than he should be. And what are people? What are most people talking about after this game? It's not the 25 of 36. It's not the 344 yards. It's that interception he threw late in the game. I I think it's just I think it's a pressure cooker reality, right? And I I think if Johnny Football is on Saskatchewan, I think we have this discussion. If Johnny Football's on Ottawa, I think we have this discussion. If Johnny Football's on Montreal, we have this discussion. Johnny Mandel is a polarizing figure that will drive up discussion and drive up interest. It'll always happen. Jeremiah Mazzoli has to stay clear of that. The tie cats have to stay clear of that. There's always a discussion point about something. And it's unfortunate that Jeremiah Mazzoli appears to be the easy lightning rod. But to have this discussion on a polarizing player and rightfully so that brings all this attention, I think it's unfair that I dive and played a very good game, and, you know, every quarterback throws an interception, and Jeremiah seems to be one of those, but I think he's going to come back stronger for it, and I'm excited to see what Jeremiah Mazzoli uh, can do. Give me your take on Calgary's running back situation in this game, because coming in uh, to the season, a lot of us expecting Terry Williams to be the number one guy, and Terry Williams to have a great season as the number one guy. Uh, this week, the depth chart comes out, and surprise, surprise, it's Don Jackson listed as starting running back. Uh, Williams listed as the primary kick returner. And then, uh, you know, just to get clarification on that, Dave Dickinson basically goes and says, well, I only put him at number one on the depth chart because Williams is our number one guy at returner. So they'll both play, they'll both get carries, and, we'll both, and we'll run with the hot hand. What do you make of the running back? performance from these two guys in this game for Calgary? Um, I don't make much of it because it sounds like Calgary has a dual bat system by all accounts, and number one is number one, and at the end of the day, a depth chart is just a piece of paper. True. That Unless is, it's digital, that is, then re- it's... that is required by the CFL 24 hours before a game. And even when the depth chart comes out, Chris Jones still won't announce who his starting quarterback is. Uh, no. But uh, Jackson starts, or air quotes, gets a start in this game. He got 12 carries to 7 for Williams. He had that big one that was the final dagger there. Uh, Are you expecting him to get uh, more of the carries going forward, or do you still think we're going to see this even out? I think we're going to see the dual bat, and whoever seems to play well in said football game will get the carries. The bottom line, the depth chart means a lot less and less uh, each passing year. It should really just be a roster of who's dressed. Right. Quickly, your thoughts on the defenses in this game between these two sides. Uh, specifically, the Ticats, because I thought they did a great job 
uh, of holding Calgary. You know, we talk about all of the wide receivers, but Levi Mitchell has at his disposal. They held them to nine points going into the fourth quarter, and uh, they're getting a pretty good guy back in the lineup soon. Uh, and this is a guy who went to the NFL and is now back in Delvin Bro. What do you make of the addition there for the Thai Cats and uh, as a whole their defensive performance in this game? I, I think it's a dead need for so a good addition for uh, Hamilton, and I, I've been it just makes a good defense even stronger. Yeah, and they really I thought I thought they performed well against Calgary in this game. Calgary's defense, I mean, they held Hamilton to 14 points. Uh, basically picked up where they left off last year. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And a lot of this for Hamilton is picked up where they left off. This with you well, I was them. talking about Calgary's defense. Oh yeah. Well, even like they look pretty good to me. They were. This was the typical Calgary game of last year, uh, despite all the changes. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, I was just amazed listening to the Calgary pregame show, and they suggest that this is a twelve to fourteen win Stampedo team. I said the same. I said thirteen and five. I don't know. I I just is the West gonna be that good to have that high of a win total? Well, the West won the first three games this week. Or the West won all matchups with the East Division this week. The Ottawa Red Blacks, Mike, despite not playing a game, are first in the East Division with a 0-0 zero and zero record. <laughs> I, uh, I just wonder, is that going to even out when the West versus West game starts? Right, yeah, no, that's fair. And is, is that going to treat that win total down? That's all. Let's move on to our final game of the week here, the BC Lions. Uh, hosting the Montreal Alouettes. BC pulls out a 22-10 win in this one uh, in the late game on Saturday. Your thoughts on this football game? Well, I saw one couple really good things from Jonathan Jennings that I liked, uh, hitting receivers. Uh, Shaq Johnson was one of them. <laughs> Ryan, I love Shaq. Ryan will be tooting his horn all season long. I love Shaq um, Again, my question is, when the game was really on the line, that's when BC asserted themselves. And there's no denying that BC was the better team. And Montreal going to be in for a long season if they can't figure something out of the West Division. And Jennings, I mean, I don't think he could have looked much better in this game. 20 of 24, 183 yards. Granted, the yardage isn't really up there. But uh, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He picked up 57 yards on the ground as well. Uh, Jonathan Jennings, could he be back, Mike, and primed to have a great season this year? So it's an interesting discussion now, perhaps begins, how you see these five teams. Because if week one has any indication, it sounds like head-to-head games are going to be very, very important. Yes, they are. And hopefully not all of them are rained out. And (laughs) James particularly West and East, are going to be very, very important as well. Because I'm looking at it this week, like the Bombers are are Montreal. Well, they can't afford a slip-up based on what happened in all the East versus West games last week. So the pressure's kind of on from that standpoint. Uh, Montreal in this game, they looked a lot better than I thought they would coming into this year. I expected the Alouettes to be better than they were last year. 
Early on in this football game, we have that first quarter where the Alouettes go out and score 10 points in the first quarter, and we're starting to think maybe a little bit, this actually looks like good football that Montreal is playing. I didn't know that was something, that's something we haven't seen from them in a while. So I thought maybe we finally had a case here where the Alouettes, kicking off the year on a good note here, Drew Willie early in the game. By the way, for the most part, besides uh, maybe that interception late in the game and that four, that final drive where I thought he could have moved the ball a lot better and managed the clock better, I was impressed with what I saw from Drew Willie. 25 of 35, 281 yards. He had a touchdown and an interception, particularly in that first half. He forced the ball down the field like I haven't seen Drew Willie do since he got injured in Winnipeg. That's fair. He forced the ball down the field. You know, long bombs. He had a couple long ones. One that was brought back for a touch or by a penalty, but then they go. He goes and gets another long one. Yet um, a couple played later, and the dive fumbles on the goal line. Luckily, his own dive spoofs it out. Yeah, Williams fumbles. Eugene Lewis picks it up for for the score. I I thought that that's when Montreal's offense looked at its best, and they got Terrell Sutton going early in the game as well. And then in the second half, I don't know what changed for Montreal because Drew Willie didn't go down the I don't think he launched it down the field much at all in the second half especially not in the final couple minutes down by this would be infuriating to me Ryan you see something that works yet you go away from it not to me would be the infuriating part of I'm a Montreal Alouette fan and, and I don't know why they did it and maybe we just need to give credit maybe we need to give some credit to BC here for adjusting to what they saw and uh, shutting that down, but I mean Montreal, the they started well, but the wheels just came off there as the game went along. Uh, the bottom line is you need to play a full sixty-minute game against PC to win, and, and, and they stayed in it. Montreal stayed in it for the most part. It was eleven to, or sorry, twelve ten after the third quarter. BC outscores them by ten or ten zip in the fourth. I thought Montreal was held in it, and you know, thinking about it this way, for a team that's lost lost its final 11 games last season, a team 12 that, game losing streak now. 12 game losing streak now. It's a team that nobody has any expectations for coming into this year. Uh, it's a team that's easily picked on. You know, people taking shots at the Alouettes because of everything going on on there in Montreal. And really, Mike. A win in the first game of the season could do so much for a team like this. You know, it's a building block. You go out and get that first win, and, and, and finally, you know, you put last year behind you, and you start with a 1-0 and record. And there it is now. How do you build off of that? They don't get the win in this one, but I think it's still a solid performance by the Alouettes. They just need to get more going on offense throughout the entire game. Yeah, they had too many long periods where the offense didn't do much. Yeah. You know, it's almost like it didn't be... Well, it's really after that first quarter it didn't get anything it, it, going. Against BC, you need a consistent, timely one-two punch of consistent offensive scoring. If you stop just a little bit, you know, you're going to find yourself in the situation with Montreal did. Chris Williams had a pretty good game in his first game as an Alouette. Six catches for 98 yards. Granted, he fumbles there on the goal line. Eugene Lewis picks it up there. Um... De- talk about the defenses for both of these teams here quickly. Both of them were good. Um, BC's defense just adjusted a little more in the second half to shut down Drew Willie and take away whatever whatever they saw on video in the first half. Um, 
I, I would just be concerned that I don't think we saw too many wrinkles from Montreal. So I just wonder how it happens from this point forward now that they're on tape. I'll say this. I was impressed with the Lions' offensive line because that was one of the things they went out and proved in the offseason. Uh, Jennings, 20 of 24. They ran the ball well. They had over 100 yards rushing uh, between him and Johnson, and then Chris Rainey gets 16 yards in there. Granted, Corey Watson trying to take away from that with one carry for negative eight, but <laughs> you know what it is. But uh, I thought the offensive line did a great job for the Lions. Against the defensive line in Montreal, that looks pretty good on paper, uh, especially with the addition of Jamal Westerman there. So I, I thought BC's offensive line had a good game here, Mike. Yeah, and that was, to me, the one thing coming into the game was, you know, BC lost a lot of games last year because of their offensive line, and I just wonder, you know, is it sustainable? Um, but quietly, I think Montreal built themselves a little offensive line that could, could help them out. Uh, they did lose somebody on that offensive line to a substantial injury, but I thought that person filled in admirably. You know, to me, now that's just a matter of trying to get more offense from Montreal and, and go from there. So week one is in the books, Mike. Uh, the CFL... Uh, has gone away from what it used to do with its, uh, I believe it used to be top offensive, defensive, and special teams player of the week. Now they just do a top three, you know, the Shaw performers of the week. But let's go through, Mike, our picks for the uh, top offensive, defensive, and special teams player of the week. Let's start on offense. Who out of all the games you saw this week was your player of the week on offense? Mike Riley. Yeah, yeah, that that's a consensus pick here. Um, managed, I mean, the entire game, but that touchdown pass to Darrell Walker was something else. Yeah, again, it, it's quarterbacks like Riley know how to get the ball to guys when they need to. And, you know, there was also a touchdown, Kalaros to the first touchdown Kalaros threw. Was it uh, Williams Lambert? Did he no, get a touchdown pass in this one? No, but anyway, he, um, Kalaros threw it through a window where there were two Ardos standing there. And he just, oh, it's the name in Roosevelt. Yeah, thank you. And he thread the needle just perfectly into that little tight spot, and that was the difference. Uh, defensive player of the week, uh, Charleston Hughes is my pick. How can you not go, Mr. Hughes, with the sack trick? In week one with three sacks, he was Can a I throw Nick Marshall in there as well? Yeah, that was a timely interception that um, the game. Just because I don't know if people realize that he's the former quarterback turned cornerback. I mean, where else, what what's new in Saskatchewan, right? Uh, everyone plays positions that you don't expect them to play, and they somehow shine while doing it. Heck of a game for Nick Marshall, unfortunately now on the injured list. And uh, hopefully he comes back from that injury and picks up where he left off there with that pick six he had to seal that game. Uh, so Charleston Hughes, Nick Marshall, I think those are both great picks there as well. Uh, special teams, Mike. Uh, can we give it to Kevin Fogg? I'm going to go Brett Lauder. Okay. Why Brett Lauder? Uh, he missed the first field goal uh, for the Riders, but uh, came back with some timely and uh, big field goals to respond. I for me it's Kevin Fogg because we saw what we I mean was it last year Mike where Kevin Fogg had 
four kicks returned that were uh, mm-hmm. negated by penalties. It was either last year or the year before. I know he finally got one that counted last year. And the first game of the year this year, I mean, however many fans were left at Investors Group Field by the time the game resumed after its second weather delay, Kevin Fogg brought them to their feet with a, a masterful return here that really flipped things on its head right before halftime uh, as he returned that missed was a missed field goal? Yep. Yeah, that missed field goal for a touchdown. So great performance by Kevin Fogg. Uh, he's my special teams player of the week. You know, I want to talk, because we have a couple minutes left here, Mike. I want to talk about Kevin Fogg, because I thought he was arguably the Bombers' best player in this game. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Um, got burnt a couple times, of course. Granted, but he did have that. He did have an interception on Mike Riley. He did have that kick return. I thought he was flying all over the field. We've seen a new Kevin Fodd. I'm just wondering. We saw the Kevin Fodd I fought up two years ago, but I want to see more of it. I I don't want to make a judgment on one. And it's game. really interesting to me because we talked about all the guys they brought in. We talked about the big three they had. Uh, of how many were they going to get back? You know, Mo Leggett, Chris Randall, T.J. Heath. Heath goes to Toronto. Those two stay here. They bring in Gator. They bring in Fendel, or Chandler Fenner. Nobody really talked about the fact that the Bombers brought Kevin Fogg back this year. And in game one, he stepped up and said, hey, remember me? And he showed us why he was brought back by the Bombers. So great performance by him. Makes him my special teams player of the week. Um, Mike, we got a couple minutes left. What do you want to talk about? I'd like to talk about the command center... Uh, Twitter account. Yes, I almost forgot to bring that up, so I'm glad you remembered. Talk to us about it. Uh, the football operations department of the CFL wants to better clarify in-game reviews from the command center to the fan. They want to better communicate uh, their judgment, kind of like what the Situation Room does in the NHL. You know how you, when, they, when they go to Toronto and review it, uh, they make the review and then they make out the ruling. That happened at that 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 time of the game. It was a call at all because that 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 that. Therefore, said call was stands or said call was reversed. Basically, just the way they explain uh, rules. And it's to nice fans. to get an explanation as to here's the rule they based this off of. Here's what they saw to get a sense, even if you don't agree with what the call was, that at least you can see the thought process behind it. Another idea of Randy Ambrosi, but I give an A+. Plus too. Uh, so at CFL Football Ops uh, on Twitter, you can def- should definitely follow that. We had rule changes in the offseason in the CFL, Mike. Talk about what you saw in week one. I know you were happy. It seemed like we were getting less reviews. Yeah, I still... There's a couple instances where I don't know what pass interference is, but that's seemingly every football game. It's nice that they've eliminated the ability to go and... I believe it was Bob Irving had said this, or it was one of the guys on the TSN broadcast. Coaches can no longer go fishing, right? Right. Is that you You can't go fishing for calls, say, launch it down the field and say, oh, my guy who's over there on the entire other side of the field, oh, he got held up. He was totally going to run across the field and grab the ball. No, but, no. It was, but the other argument is, what if that, what if that was that quarterback's first read? That's fair. That that's the only other argument that I have to that. Not that, you know, the ball is thrown in a certain direction. 
And quite honestly, if it's still your first read and you know he didn't tangle up, throw it in that direction. Because then the flight comes out. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's but, that's one of the things I hate is that, you know, that it, it's, it's basically part of the game plan and part of the playbook. You know, well, every team has that play that we have, you know, 20 seconds left on the clock. We need a touchdown. Well, no problem. We'll just launch it down the field. Someone will take a penalty because nobody knows what defensive pass interference is and what's not. Oh, look, we just gained 50 yards and the clock stopped. It's great. Now we're in field goal range. Boom, game-winning field goal. Here's the thing. They gave the coaches a new rule yet last year. They found a loophole in the rule. So this year they, in essence, shut the loophole. With week one in the books, Mike, we had some questions answered, some unanswered. What's the biggest thing we learned in week one of the CFL? We can't read anything in the preseason. I mean, I, I kind of said that originally before the season started, throw preseason out the window. Um, But, no, I, I think we we saw some additions that were beneficial to certain teams. Um, and we saw teams with things to work on. Yes. Yeah, I think so. And I think... It's interesting to see. I don't put too much stock into week one in the CFL, just like I didn't put much stock into the I don't the put too much stock into the first six weeks, to be honest with you. It, it's almost like, okay, we're starting to form an idea of what we're expecting to see. That being said, you look at week one and say a team like uh, the Riders' defense goes out and you know performs admirably. What happens if they come out against Ottawa and Trevor Harris tears them to shreds? Where are we standing on that line there? Somewhere in the middle. Right? And, and same thing, you know, people hyped up on Chris Strebler of the Bombers after week one. What if he goes into Montreal and struggles there, right? I, I don't put that much stock into a guy's one-game performance in the CFL. Give me a couple of weeks to get things going here before. Finally, what are you watching for this week? Well, this week, uh, well, you can catch that as part of our uh week two preview show which will be out wednesday on all the podcast feeds we'll be joined by cliffy d of the owlets flight deck podcast and the alternative blog we recorded that last night that will be out wednesday morning on all the podcast feeds so uh i'll save that for that mike uh find out what we're looking forward to uh which games we're looking at uh for week two in that episode of the podcast there uh, find all of our content uh, in case you missed the announcement last week. Uh, we have a new website, mikefmwinnipeg.com slash the Canadian Football Countdown. That's all hyphenated. So the dash Canadian dash football dash countdown. Uh, you can find all of our all of our episodes of the podcast on there, Mike. Uh, this is number 44. Uh, and You can find all 44 of them there. You can also find written content. Mike will have his power rankings coming out this week, Mike. When will we expect to see those? But likely Thursday morning. Thursday morning. Look forward to the power rankings there as well. I'm also working on a written piece coming out this week as well, so stay tuned. Which I'm that. told is far too long. Far too long. i got to cut that down a little bit. Uh, that does it for this episode's show. Follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. Uh, check out our week two preview on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Bye.